Welcome to Sounds Erotic, the voices of erotica. I'm your host, Alex Anders, and here is part two of my interview with the founder of one of the largest ebook distributors in the world, Mark Coker, founder of Smashwords.com. In this ebook age, should someone consider going to an established publisher? You are one of the leading self publishing facilities in the world. What is the role of traditional publishing still? Well, that's a really good question, and you're asking me, and I'm biased. You are, but I would like to... There's (laughs) got to be some reason for it. Well, look, until recently, big publishers controlled the printing press, and they controlled access to distribution. So if you were an author and you wanted to reach a lot of readers, you had no choice but to work with a big publisher. Even if that publisher abused you or neglected you, you had no choice but to work with that big publisher if you wanted to reach readers, if you wanted to earn a living as a writer. But that has all changed now, thanks to this convergence of multiple revolutions. I mean, here we go using that word again. We're probably overusing it. We aren't. Um, but <laughs> We um, aren't. It really is. But it's the best word to describe what's happening here. We've had this ebook revolution. We've seen ebooks go from, like when I first started working on the Smashwords business plan, 0.15% of the market to over 20% of the book market here in the U.S. We've had self-publishing just a few years ago was seen as the option of last resort. It was the option for failed authors. It was a sign of shame to be a self-published author. We've seen that change. Today, it's no longer the option of last resort. It's the option of first choice for many authors. But can you conceive of a reason why people should still go through a traditional publisher? Well, those reasons are quickly disappearing because now, thanks to ebooks, thanks to self-publishing, and also thanks to the major ebook retailers who welcome self-published ebooks, the indie author now has access to the printing press through Smashwords or through Kindle or anywhere else, and they have access to distribution. So what is it that the publisher is offering to the authors? Their value proposition is dissipating. There's still a lot good publishers can do for authors, but the question is, are they going to do it? Right. When I talk to authors who've worked with the big houses, what they'll tell me that they loved about the big houses wasn't the big house, but it was their editor. Right that authors will gladly give up their rights and give up the higher royalties if they can get that editor, because editors are golden. Editors are the heart and soul of what publishing should be about. But what these authors are telling me is that editors are losing power in the big publishers. Mm. Editors who want to acquire a book because they believe in that author, they believe in the book, the editors have to run a gauntlet within the publishers now. They've got to run this bureaucratic gauntlet. They've got to sell the book internally to their sales group, to the marketing group, to the finance group. Otherwise, they can't acquire the book. So that's, I think, very damaging. It's kind of a soul-sucking experience for the editors who want to take chances on authors who might not appear like they're going to be commercial successes, but these are authors that the editors believe in to your question, why should someone use a big publisher? Well, there are fewer reasons today than there were yesterday, and I think there will be fewer reasons tomorrow. When you look at what big publishers are doing and how they're reacting to the ebook revolution and the self-publishing and all the changes that are going on, they're making a lot of decisions that I think are counterproductive to their own future. They're trying to hold the line on paying 25% net royalties mm-hmm. for ebooks. And authors are saying, well, I can make 85% net at Smashwords. Right. So why should I take 25% net? What are you, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Publisher going to do for me that I can't do for myself? And then the authors are seeing that the publishers are overpricing their books. They're pricing them too high. So indie authors are taking books that were previously published by the big New York houses that the publishers put out of print, rights reverted to the author. So basically the publisher is saying this book is no longer of value to us. And the indie authors are going out there selling $2.99, $3.99, $0.99 ebooks, and they're earning more money than they ever earned during the time of their traditional contract. 
So a lot of these authors are saying, look, not only is the publisher not doing for me what I can do myself, but maybe the publisher is hurting me. Maybe I can be more successful if I remain independent, if I hold on to my rights. And there are definitely authors that prove that to be 1,000% correct. Yes, many, many authors today. And, I mean, you look at the New York Times bestseller list now, we're seeing indie authors, self-published authors hitting that list. And I can guarantee you that a year from now, there will be even more self-published authors on there. And two, three, four, or five years from now, it's going to be dominated. It's going to be dominated by the indie authors. This is the trend that's happening. There's a force behind this. So publishers risk becoming irrelevant. And that kind of saddens me. I don't see publishers as the enemy of Smashwords. Mm -hmm. I want them to be successful. In fact, I would love it if big publishers would use our distribution services. Mm -hmm. Our services are open to them if they want to utilize them. But publishers won't give us the time of day. They insist on DRM. We insist on no DRM. So they're going to go down the path that they go. Let me ask you this. I have three friends who are avid readers. They've been since their child. And just as an example, one of them recently ordered four paperback books, one of which she was excited about because she heard a whole bunch of good things about it. She received the book. She opened it up, and it had a print date of five days prior. She closed it. She put it on a shelf and said, no way. And this is an attitude of the other two people I know as well, where they think if it doesn't go through the gateway of established publishing, then it's not worth it. Is this justified? And before you answer, I'll say this as an insider on authors and publishing. There's a guy who's referred to as the thousand dollar a day guy who recently made a post on I'm not quite sure where. But it became all the rage within the independent author community. And what he advocated was what you do is you write shorter stories, you price them at two ninety nine, you do three passes on editing at most. Because it doesn't matter how well the book is written, it's more important what category it ends up in and whether or not you're able to draw on the reader to buy the next book in the series, which you spread out. So that's an aspect of writing as product, writing as a form of making money. And a lot of authors have taken this on because it's quick, it's fast, you get a lot of books out there, and you make a lot of money. Is this justifiable reason for people to turn down their nose on independent books? No, that's not a reason to turn their nose. I know that there's a stigma with self-publishing. The stigma is dissipating. And I think we're very close to getting to the point where there's a stigma associated with big publishers, where we'll have a group of authors sitting around a table, and one of them announces that they just got a big publishing deal, and the rest of the authors will say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> I've already heard real examples of that happening, and it's going to happen more. So what you're describing here of authors just cranking out a bunch of material that sounds like it really hasn't been edited that well, maybe that works today. I mean, if the readers who consume those books enjoy those books enough that they want to buy more, then great. You know, it's all about satisfying the readers. And so if that satisfies the readers, great. You know, I, I think we're in a really interesting time right now where there will be things that authors can do today that work that may not work a year or two from now. Like when you look at the macro trends, already today there is a glut of content. How many books are released every day on Smashwords? Between 250 and 300 every day. Every day. We've done like 8,500 books in the last 30 days. And Smashwords doesn't even represent all the books that are coming out. You know, I expect that Amazon's doing a lot more books than we are. It's possible Barnes & Noble Puppet is doing more than we are. So there's an explosion of self-published content. Look at our numbers. Our first year, 140 books. Then we did 6,000 books. Then we did 28,000 books. Then we did 92,000 books. You know, we're almost 110,000 today. You know, our numbers show that growth. So even beyond the explosion of self-published books, we're going to be seeing previously published books 
books that were out of print are coming back to life as e-books published by the large publishers. So a lot of out-of-print materials out there now competing in the marketplace again. We've got all those public domain books that are out there. It's inevitable over the next 10 years. Probably every book ever published anywhere is going to be archived, digitized, and available. So we've got this explosion of content, and then we've got this explosion that continues to happen just with non-book content. So you've got all of this media, all this written media competing for a limited number of eyeballs. Right. So right now the market is growing so quickly. 20% of the market by the end of 2011, up from about 8% the year before. So the market almost tripled in one year. And, you know, this growth is going to continue for some time. It's going to slow down, though. So the market's growing so quickly right now that it's safe to say that a lot of people are finding success simply because of the growth in the marketplace. And they may not be able to achieve the same success two, three years from now when there's even more content that they're competing against and when the market starts slowing down. I mean, it's going to slow down. This exponential growth in ebooks cannot continue. I don't know if it's going to slow down at 50% of the market, 60, 70, 80%, 90%. Don't know when that's going to be. But someday in the next five years, it'll probably slow down quite a bit. The market, rather than tripling every year or doubling every year, we're going to start seeing it going up 50% in a year or 30% or 20%. Now, that's still good growth, but it's not the fantastic exponential growth that we've experienced. These are the gold rush days right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of authors. I think the authors who are out there today and who are most successful at reaching readers today and satisfying readers today are going to be the megastars of a few years from now. This is from the reader's perspective. With all these books being released every single day, how can a reader find a good book? Because clearly there's a lot of stuff that's less worthy of attention than other stuff. So how does a reader wade through all this material? Well, the cream rises to the top. Book marketing has always been about reader word of mouth. And so if there's something out there that's worth reading and if it's priced appropriately and if it's accessible, so if it's available to be discovered by readers, those are really the components. You need availability, accessibility, portability then readers will find it. I did a survey at Mobile Read a few months ago. This was a completely non-scientific survey, but I, I posed to the folks there 12 questions. I said, name your number one method of book discovery for the books that you purchased and give them 12 options to answer and told them they could only choose one because I wanted their favorite. So 28% said that they rely on the recommendations of their online communities, message boards, forums, and that was compared to 6 or 7% friends and family, which means that at least in that community, readers trust their online communities more than they trust their immediate friends and family. And that kind of makes sense. You can find hyper-focused communities out there who share your passions, and you trust them for book discovery. The second most common method was you look for books by your favorite authors. That was about 18%. So what was most interesting is about 50% of the answers were fragmented across most of the other answers, accounting for 5 or 6, 7% each. So like 7% of the people said they only look at ebook covers. And if the cover grabs them, you know, they drill down and download a sample, and if they like the sample, they'll buy it. About 5% of the people said they sample everything, and then if they like it, they buy it. Five or six percent of the people said they only download free ebooks, and if they like that author, then they'll seek out the paid works of that author. And so the big message there is this idea of random discovery is that you can be completely unknown, but if you attach the right discovery hooks to your book, then some readers are going to find it. And if your book truly is a good book, it's going to get good reviews, it's going to get talked about, and then your book is going to rise. 
that's how it works. You got to get your readers talking about your books. Your best marketing and discovery tool is to write a book that's just totally super awesome. And I know that you are in the process of writing a book that talks to authors about how to get their book out there. Am I correct? Yes. I was working on it this morning. I'm writing a new ebook focused on ebook publishing best practices called The Secrets to Ebook Publishing Success. So I'm looking at 25, 26, what I call secrets, you know, best practices inspired by the actual practices of the most successful Smashwords authors, or at least my observation of their practices. I'm waiting for it. I saw that and went, oh, that's a book that I want right away. What do you think will be available? It's a book I want, too. <laughs> well, um, I thought it was ready to go out right away, but I opened it up to beta readers, got about 20 beta readers from Smashwords, and their feedback was incredible. And I'm incorporating edits based on their feedback right now. So I'm, I still have you know, some more revision work to do before I release it. But I'm hoping to get it out within the next month. So maybe early summer of 2012? Well, you know, we're middle of March right now. If it's not out by the middle of April, I'll be really disappointed because I've been working on this for almost a year and a half. I'm ready to birth this baby, <laughs> this child. And we are excited to read it, I can tell you that much. I wanted to ask you about something before we kind of close it off here. Baker Taylor. Smashwords has created a relationship with Baker Taylor. Who are they and how did that come about? Baker Taylor is one of the world's largest distributors of print books, both to bookstores and to libraries. And I think they contacted us. They also um, they're the distributor that operates the Blio platform. I'm actually unfamiliar with that. Blio? Yeah. They announced it about a year and a half ago, and it's the invention of Raymond Kurzweil, brilliant inventor. And originally, Blio was going to be a device to reproduce fixed-format books on screen in a very pleasurable, pleasant way. They modified their strategy, abandoned the idea of creating ebook reading devices, and they focused on the software, on the app. So Blio comes pre-installed on about 25 million personal computers, so computers manufactured by Dell, they have Toshiba. I forget the other ones. But they've got a really good footprint coming pre-installed on personal computers. And personal computers still account for some small fraction of ebook reading. At the Tools of Change conference, I think Bowker said that people are still reading about 10% of ebooks on personal computers. Hmm. So Blio is interesting, not only for the Blio.com store, but because they're powering the ebook experience for some of these computers and tablets. And I expect they'll be powering the ebook stores of other operations in the future. So that piece is interesting, and hopefully that can add some additional incremental sales for our authors. I don't expect it to be a massive platform like Barnes & Noble or Apple is for us, but if it adds something incremental, I'll be happy. Now, Baker & Taylor also operates called the Access 360 the library platform. Mm-hmm. It's an ebook service for public libraries. I think they've rolled it out to about 17 or so public libraries in the U.S. now, and they've got more in the pipeline. This is a service that they first announced a year ago, so they're just getting started. So this will give us our first foothold in the library market. It's a market that I'm very interested in and that I want to help our authors reach. How is it going to work now with libraries, ebooks, and Baker Taylor and Smashwords? Well, for libraries that subscribe to the Baker and Taylor Access 360 system, they will have the ability to purchase Smashwords ebooks. So they'll pay list price, so whatever the price is that our authors and publishers set, and then that will give them the ability to acquire a single title that they can check out just one at a time. So it can only be checked out once until that book comes back, and then it can be checked out again. Is there a limited amount of reads that each book can get? 
No. For as long as that library is subscribed to the Baker and Taylor system, they can continue to read that book, but just one at a time. So it's metered one at a time. What's going to happen is that libraries that have books that are in greater demand will purchase more than one copy of the ebook. What will also happen is that patrons who want to read a book but they can't because it's checked out will be given the option to purchase the book from Blio. So it'll be a sales driver as well. And is it done to a format like Mobi or PDF? How does it exactly work? I think it's an EPUB file. And you get it and download it to your reading device, like your Kindle or your Nook? Yeah, that's my understanding. And the book will be DRM'd, so it'll time out after a certain period of time. Interesting. And how does an author that wants to be distributed at a particular library, how would they go about getting there? Well, Smashwords authors are automatically distributed into the Baker and Taylor network, so they're part of the system. Well, if they don't want to be, if they don't want to be, then they'll opt out of our Baker and Taylor channel. But again, this is an example where I'd encourage authors to keep their expectations really low. Mm -hmm. Baker and Taylor library system is very new. It's obviously very limited exposure to libraries. You know, if they've got under 20 rolled out today. But it's the type of channel that if they're successful getting penetration into the library market, that two, three, four years from now, it could be a good channel. Well, I think that we can just look at trends and say that paperbacks are becoming less prevalent. Ebooks are becoming more of a force. So libraries moving from paperback, which disintegrates, to ebook, it's going to happen. Right. It's just a matter of time as opposed to if. Right. It's happening. And one of the interesting things about this market to me is that the large publishers are not friendly to libraries. Hmm. So I see an opportunity. You know, I talk with our authors. Our authors have been telling me for years they want distribution to libraries. I know our authors will treat libraries very well and will appreciate the distribution and the potential sales that they can get and the promotional value they can get and the opportunity to reach new readers and build their platforms. I think indie authors are going to be much bigger friends to libraries than the big publishers in the future. I think so, because a lot of independents who write books, it's a passion thing. It's not necessarily a way of making money. I've been blessed in the fact that I make my living writing erotica. That's how I make my living. But I also do write other books, and I write those other books because I think they're important. I think they help society in some way, and I would want them to be in libraries. I honestly don't care how much money I make from them. I want the information to be out there where it's affecting people in a positive light. So I think it's a great move to allow independent authors to make their books available to libraries if libraries want them, or if readers go into libraries and say, there's this book that I would like available here. Please make it available. Right. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about the library market. So to wrap up, I'd like to ask one fun question, which is, what is your favorite book right now? You know, I don't have time to read <laughs> I can tell you what book is on my nightstand okay. that I'm planning to read very soon, and I blogged about this book, Charlotte Sometimes. And what made you excited about it? Well, it's this book by Penelope Farmer. It was published in the 60s, and it inspired a song by The Cure called Charlotte Sometimes, one of my favorite songs of all time. Okay. And about a month or two ago, on a whim, after being a fan of this song for 20 years or so, I thought, I wonder what the lyrics are about. And so I Googled the lyrics, and I found that it was inspired by this author and this book that Robert Smith had read as a child or had read to him as a child. It was kind of a children's book. And I discovered that there had been a copyright battle between the author of the book and The Cure, because The Cure lifted phrases straight out of the book and put it into their song. And when the author first learned about it, she was very upset that here's this big rock band 
possibly earning millions of dollars on her work that she wasn't being compensated for. And so her people contacted the Cures people and started some discussions. And at the time, this was in the 80s and 90s, the, the copyright in the UK, where both the band and the authors, was not so clear. And this pretty much fell under fair use, even though they didn't call it that. Mm. I learned all this because I stumbled across the blog of the author and a blog post she made a few years ago where for the first time she told the story of what happened. So the author started to realize, though, that thanks to the popularity of The Cure and The Cure's song, that her book was selling very well and it was staying in print. Right. And so she ultimately came to the conclusion that whatever had happened here, right, wrong, or indifferent, was benefiting her. Right. And she wanted to meet Robert Smith at The Cure. So her and her daughter managed to get tickets to a concert and went to see The Cure. And she described in vivid detail what it was like meeting Robert Smith. And Robert Smith approached her and he thrust this tattered book in front of her and said, will you sign this? <laughs> and it was his childhood copy of Charlotte Sometimes. You know, He talked about how important this story was to him as a child because his older brother read it to him multiple times and how it inspired the song and how this song was was Robert Smith's way of honoring that book. And Penelope Farmer was deeply touched by the whole thing and now is very thankful that The Cure took that inspiration. If you Google The Cure and Charlotte sometimes smash words or something like that, you'll find my blog post from a month and a half ago. So I've got the book that's sitting on my nightstand. It's still in print in some places, I think in the UK, and I could only find a paper version of it. So that's the book I'm going to be reading next. Let's hope it becomes available in ebook format at some point soon. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. And what's the next big thing for Smashwords? Well, we've got like 500 items on our roadmap of things that we're going to do or that we plan to do. I think overall, you know, our primary business is distribution. So we're focused on how can we be a better distributor for our authors? How can we open up new distribution outlets for them? And then how can we do a better job of serving them for the retailers that we're serving? So one big focus is how do we get our books out there faster, more accurately? How do we get faster sales reporting back out to our authors? So that's going to be a primary focus of the next year. It's what I call faster, faster, faster. That's what we're focused on because we've grown quite a bit over the last couple of years. You know, we've had our growing pains. The customer service queue, if you send in an email to the customer service team, it's unacceptably long. It takes about a week to get a reply back. That's bad. So we're going to focus on fixing things like that. You know, we're distributing books out to our retailers approximately once a week. I'd like to see that time shortened. The utopian ebook distributor in my mind would be you upload your book and it's available at retailers minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I don't think we'll ever get there, but that's the direction that we're marching in. Who knows? I think we could perhaps get there one day. Maybe. Maybe. Computer programs are amazing and they're going to be even more amazing in the future. Yeah, well, the challenge is that, you know, our business requires on human beings. Mm -hmm. It depends a lot on human beings because we do need to look at these books before we send them out. But there's a lot that we can do to make the whole process faster. Maybe it won't ever be real time, but it can be a lot faster than it is now. Well, I can tell this to the readers. If you are looking to support your favorite authors, I would suggest that you go to Smashwords first. And here's why. Because Smashwords offers the author the largest percentage of the book sale. So, you know, if you want your favorite author to continue to be able to write full time or be able to write full time, purchase your book from Smashwords and your author will appreciate you for it. So thank you, Mark, for creating what you have. And Lord knows I've been using it for years and I'll continue to use it for as long as I write. Well, thanks. I appreciate that.
And thank you for being a part of Sounds Erotic. I really appreciate the time you've given us, and I think that our listeners have learned a lot about your company and about censorship and what you've done for all of us, what we all work together to do to make fiction safe. Well, cool. Thank you. And also, thanks to the community. The community really came through in a big, important way. Once again, thank you, Mark Coker, for joining me today. Please be sure to check out your favorite author on Smashwords.com, where you can get books in all formats, including for the Kindle, the Nook, and for the iPad. Your favorite author will thank you for it. Finally, would you like to know what type of erotica reader you are? As a special treat for our listeners, we at Sounds Erotic have created a free erotica personality quiz that will help you figure out what type of erotica reader you are. Go to soundseroticpodcast.com, take the quiz, and get books based on your exact erotica personality type. It's fun and kind of hot. Thank you again for joining me, Alex Anders, and please join me next time on Sounds Erotic. Sounds Erotic.